Well, there's some things Jesus would never say, right? <laughs> that, aren't, that aren't in the sermon, so it saves me some time. <laughs> John chapter 4, verse 45. I want to preach about today's Father's Day, and uh, what an important day, of course. So I want to preach about something that Jesus would never say, but I want to focus in on a father, and certainly it's usable for everyone. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galilean welcomed him. The Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover, for they had also been there. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you, you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus replied, You may go. Your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still in his way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, The fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and all his household believed, and this was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed, having come from Judea to Galilee. Now, Jesus responds um, very um, strangely, which he often did. He often can't kind of seem like he was coming out of left field when someone would ask him for something. He would say something that you wouldn't normally think to say. And so this guy comes and this royal official, this government official, and he's got this son who's sick. And, uh, you know, it was a big deal that he came in person. Uh, he didn't send one of his servants, but he came personally. Were that why? Perhaps he thought, well, Jesus might be more impressed if I go. I, th I think it underscores how important this was to him and how much this meant to him that Jesus come and heal his son. And Jesus responds with, Verse 48, unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, you will never believe. And so what we know about, about that sentence is this guy did not believe. Uh, this guy was not, had not measured up, had not measured up to what Jesus wanted him to be. This guy had not completely gotten his act together. Now, that's very important to this message. It's very important that you hear that, that you hear that, that this guy is a guy who didn't measure up to the faith in who Jesus was that was necessary for eternal salvation. Here's a guy who hadn't gotten his act together in thinking properly about God and about Jesus. And we know this because if you jump down later in, in the text, it, you, you see that... Um, he got home, his son was healed, and when he inquired to the time when his son got better, they said to him, the fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour, Then the father realized that this was the exact time in which Jesus had said to him. Now, look at, the, look at the next sentence. The next sentence is very important. Your son will live, so he and all his household believed. So that tells you what his position was before and what it became after his son healed him. Now, this tells us some very important things about the man that we'll get to in a moment. 
and tells us some very important things about Jesus. First of all, Jesus didn't mind telling people where they didn't quite measure up and where they needed to get their act together. And Jesus could be a contrarian sometimes, you know. There was a Gentile woman who came to Jesus and wanted him to heal her, and Jesus said, it's not proper to give the children's bread to dogs. Jesus would often come out of left field like that. Now, Jesus wasn't trying to be mean, and he wasn't trying to be difficult. He really wasn't just trying to be contrarian. But Jesus, see, Jesus just didn't want to heal the child physically, but he wanted to heal the whole family spiritually. So he knows this man, before he does this good thing for him, he knows this man needs to be, see beyond the magic of who Jesus is and, and see who Jesus is. He needed to see beyond the magic. And, and we're going we're gonna to make a parallel today with many of you, who are, some of you at least, who are here today. And, and glad you're here. You, you, you come to church or you started coming to this church looking for some solution to some real problem that you have, some real situation in your life, maybe as simple as you'd like some good friends. And that's, that's a serious matter, wanting good friends. Or it could be something far more serious, like a, a marriage that's fragmented and fractured, and this, you're looking for help from Christ to help you with that marriage, or maybe somebody else, it's a, your career and finances aren't going very well. And you come here hoping to hear something, to receive something, and maybe God will just honor you for coming, and he will bless you in that matter. And uh, so uh, I, I want you to know that, that and, and I want you to know why, I'm repeat, why I repeated verse 48, 52, and 53. I, I repeated verse 48, 52, and 53. I repeated it for you to tell you this today, that Jesus never said, I won't help you because you don't measure up. Jesus would never say, don't pray to me. I'm not going to do anything for you until you get your act together and you become everything that I want you to be. If, if that was true, it, it, I'm going to say this. I think we've got going to put it up on the wall. If you are all you should be, then the doctrine of grace is irrational. So, but Jesus didn't hesitate. And this is really important, I think, that Jesus didn't hesitate to tell people you aren't all you should be. Jesus didn't hesitate to sound like a contrarian. But Christ, the only accurate representation of the Father, would never say, if you, could just, if you would become that what I want you to be, then I could help you. It's so beautifully illustrated in this story. And, and speaking of getting our act together, by the way, since it's Father's Day, I think it's a good idea to remind you that men and dads, uh, there's a lot of evidence that we're not in good shape in this country. There, there's a lot of evidence that men are in a little bit of trouble as, as a group. <laughs> Uh, men attending church regularly dropped from 42% in 1991 to 18% in uh, a couple of years ago. Also, the, the uh, share of babies born to unmarried women has risen from 5% in 1960 to 41% in 2008. That's, that's a serious sociological situation that that many homes are fatherless. 
77% of all suicides are men. That's a 43% increase from 1997. Men are twice as likely as women to become alcoholics. Men are twice as likely to die from a drug overdose. As you know, there's a huge opiate crisis in New Hampshire. 73% of the drug overdoses in New Hampshire last year were men. 73%. Over 90% of prison inmates are men. According to one study, one in five boys are diagnosed with some type of hyperactive disorder. Now, sure, you can lay a lot of this at the feet of culture. But the last time I tried to have a meeting with culture, culture didn't show up for the meeting. So I think, guys, we better just take personal responsibility for this situation. Amen. I think we better get out the mirror and say, the one person that can do something about this is me, with help. <laughs> so as a group, men were in pretty bad shape. So it would, would be a good idea for us to go to Jesus today. I think it would be a good idea for every man in this room to say, I'm going to Jesus and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to him about my life. And if I have children, I'm going to talk to him about my children. By the way, I think men, the men that I talk to really care about their children. I talk to men all the time and they really care and really love their children and really want their children to do well. So I think men, we're ready to get in the game, but we need help. It wouldn't surprise me that some of you are having trouble. Here's what I want to say. I want you to hear this, men. It wouldn't surprise me that some of you are having trouble engaging with God and Jesus because you feel so far away from God and Jesus. And that's exactly why I wanted to preach this sermon today. Because I want to say something, some things that I, not because I say it or because it's, I will put it in my words and maybe somebody else could even put it in better words than I can. But I think these are very important things that I'm about to say. I really do. I really believe these are very important things that I'm about to say about Jesus and about you guys. And naturally, you women here today and and young people, you can, you can adapt this too, absolutely. First of, all, first of all, I want you to see something about Jesus. Because it kind of sounds like Jesus is a pretty rude guy in the beginning there where he goes, he acts all exasperated with the human race. Yeah, you people just want miracles. You won't believe in me unless you get miracles. But the Lord actually, I want to say this, the Lord responds to what you get right not just what you get wrong. This guy was getting some things right, and Jesus wasn't about to not reward him for what he was getting right. He, wanted to, he, he had to let him know what he was getting wrong, but he wanted to make sure to reward him. You know, one of the most counterproductives of all human behaviors is that we overlook beauty and punish mistakes. That's one of those counter, it's, it's a natural human thing that all of us do sometimes. And you, you, know, if you're, you know, if you're a guy, you might have had this experience where you um, actually got off the couch and, and, and cleaned, cleaned the kitchen and loaded the dishwasher or put the dishes away. That is a bigger challenge, man. When you, when you open the dishwasher and it's loaded, 
you know, you've got a sink full of dirty dishes, and then, 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 then you open the dishwasher, and it's full of clean dishes. That's, that's more than you bargained for. You, you were going to put the dirty dishes away, but you didn't know you're going to have to put the clean dishes away. And what's the chances you're going to really get them in the right places? What's the chances of that? But you do that thing. You know, you, 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 maybe, you've, maybe you've sweeped the floor and, and you do, you, maybe you clean a couple of toilets and, and uh, your wife walks in the door and she's like, what's that I smell? You didn't empty the kitty letter. Why didn't you empty the kitty letter? You know, you, know, you know what Nietzsche said? Nietzsche said, if you really want to hurt somebody, you punish them when they do something right. And that's what it feels like. That's what it feels like when, oh, darn it, I didn't empty the kitty letter. I spent two hours getting the place clean, and I didn't empty the kitty letter. But what does she want to talk about? The kitty letter. I'll tell you. I, it's Father's Day, can, so I, can I say something to the women today? If, 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 if you really want to motivate your man, you encourage him. We're, 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 like, a, we're like a dog. We're just, you just pat us on the head, and we're just... <laughs> well, what else do you want me to do? <laughs> you know? But you hit us over the head with a newspaper, and we turtle. Now, now that doesn't mean you don't need to tell us soft sometimes, because you do. We do need to hear that we did forgot the kitty litter. But if, if you want to play that scenario in a way that's going to really help your marriage, and if you really want to help your marriage, yeah, you can mention the kitty litter, but you mention it very briefly, and you jump back over and say, but thank you so much. For all this other stuff. Thank you very much. It, those two words could revolutionize some marriages. Thank you. I mean, practice it right now. Thank you. I know it's stuck in your throat, some of you. <clears throat> the Lord didn't overlook the mistake, but he didn't punish it. So he didn't punish the man. He just said, keep talking about it. Let's keep talking about the fact you don't believe in me. I, yeah, you don't believe in me. I just, I'm, I'm so hurt that you don't believe in me. We can't do anything until you believe in me. No, Jesus said, go home. Your son's going to be healed. I love that. I love that about Jesus. It, it's completely evident that the Lord acknowledged and rewarded the man. There were at least three things that the guy got right. First of all, he was willing to trust Jesus with his problem. And you know, guy, if you're here today and you haven't put full faith in Christ, you haven't stepped over the line of believing, but you're here asking God to help you, do not feel guilty about that. Jesus loves it that you're coming to him with your problem. Do not feel guilty that you're not all you should be. Because he loves to hear about your situation. Why the Bible says he ever lives to make intercession. He ever lives for that purpose, to make intercession. The second thing I see the guy did is he went to a great deal of trouble to personally tell Jesus about his problem. And the third thing, he wasn't deterred by Christ putting him off with the deity test. He didn't, he didn't you know, some of us would have just, we would have lashed back, we'd have said, okay, be that way. The guy said, oh, okay, fine, heal my son. <laughs> I love that about him. And I think a, a fourth thing that I could add is he, he loved his kid. And that was a quality that captivated Jesus. 
I believe that grabbed Jesus right in the heart. It's here's a man who loves his kid. Now, now, there's a reason the Lord is gracious like this, and it's not because he's just stuck with having to be gracious to please his dad. I believe, no, it's because he's, stri- he's strategic, which means he knows something. And the next thing I'm going to tell you is I think it's really important for you. He knows something, and this is so important for you to know, I believe. He knows that position is more important to the Lord than proximity. Position is more important than proximity. I'll explain what I mean in a moment. But I want to go to Jeremiah 12.3, which says, But you, O Lord, know me, you have seen me, and you've tested my heart toward you. Position speaks of your direction. Proximity speaks of distance. Now, maybe you're here today, and you may be a long way from being a follower of Jesus. You may be a long way from being a very good follower of Jesus. But you're looking at Jesus. You're way back in the back in the cheap seats, but you're looking toward Jesus. And there may be others here today that you're right up in the orchestra pit, right next to Jesus, but you're looking at the back door. You're thinking about other things. Your heart is looking in a wholly different direction. But some of you here today, and although you are distant from God, you're way not where you should be, and you really don't have your act together at all. But God is interested in you because He can see the direction of your heart is toward Him. And to God, and to God, and to God, position is more important than proximity. The direction of your heart. There are people that are setting up the orchestra pit that won't be here in a, in, a, in a few months because their heart is aimed toward the world. Their heart is aimed toward other solutions for their life. And there's some people that are sitting in the cheap seats a long, long ways from God, a long, long ways from faith, but their focus is on Jesus and they're trying to see how they can get what they need from Jesus and they're not looking somewhere else. And those people are going to be in the orchestra pit in a few weeks because Jesus is going to change their life. The rabbis have a word for the direction of the heart, and it's kavana. It means direction, intention, and devotion. And they talked about that. The rabbis talked about that. It was the idea behind praying with kavana is that you set the direction of your thinking toward God. Now, some of you on the sound of my voice aren't very close to the Lord. In fact, some of you are so far away, you have to use binoculars to see the Lord. But you have questions and you have problems right now. And you can think of no other being that can help you. Your proximity to Christ is horrible, but your position toward Christ is excellent. May I let you in on a secret? Christ can do more in the life of a person who's sitting way back in the cheap seats, whose eyes are fixed on Jesus, than some veteran Christian who's sitting in the orchestra pit, but their eyes are on the back door. By the way, you think this man didn't leave Jesus to go home? Do you think this man didn't leave, didn't leave Jesus to go home totally convinced that God, Jesus was going to help him? No, I think he walked away from Jesus pretty sure that, he, that this wasn't going to happen for him because he didn't measure up. He found, you know what he found out that day? He found out that he wasn't on the inside with Jesus. 
he found out he was on the outside with Jesus. But let me tell you something. <laughs> Boy, this is, this is good. This is good even if I'm about to say it. When he got home, he found out that Jesus cares and loves people who are on the outside. Amen? I love it. I love it that there's people. I'm, I, I'm sure, I'm sure that there's men here today. And I know some of you and I know some of the stuff in your life. And I'm so happy you're here. And I tell you all the time how much I appreciate you and admire you for pushing past the garbage in your life. And, deal, and coming on toward Jesus, even though your life is a mess and you're not measuring up and you're not all you should be, it's because I know that Jesus loves to help people who are not all they should be. Humility is the key. And here's another reason. Here's another reason that Jesus would do that to people. You know, Jesus would people... You, you would think that he's going to respond very kind and loving. It's all through the Bible. <laughs> you know, there's these people today. I read them sometimes, and, and there's some Christian leaders who are out there telling people, uh, I'm a red-letter Christian. I'm a red-letter Christian. We don't, we don't need to pay too much attention to Paul and James and Simon Peter and Jude because we're red-letter Christians. And, and what, they're, what they're saying is that Jesus is just all sweetness and kindness. And you get into Paul and, and Jude and those people, and they're telling you, well, you do this, and you stop doing that. And blah, you know. First of all, that's just nonsense, okay? Don't, don't, don't follow those people that are telling you that, because that's just nonsense. And another thing about those people is they're not really reading the red letters very well. Because you read the red letters, Jesus was tough on people sometimes, man. He was, he was just downright, to us, it'd just be rude. And so Jesus would, now why did he do that? Why would he set people straight? Why would he let that woman, that Gentile woman, why would he let her know that she wasn't first in line for the blessings, but the people of Jewish people were? I, I believe it's really simple. And, and, and maybe it's not simple, it's complicated, I guess, but... I think there's one simple insight is humility is the key to everything with the Lord. And, I, and, and you say, well, that's not fair. He, Jesus just wants to see people grovel. No, Jesus groveled. Nobody, nobody bent as low and went down as far to serve humanity than Jesus. Nobody, nobody. Nobody abased themselves. So, so this model of humility, this model of coming off our high horse is a model given to us by the Lord Jesus himself. It's, it's epitomized by the way the kingdom of God is formed. So, so Jesus was building a kingdom. He's building a culture. We don't, we don't get that today because we see salvation as something we go and we get a little salvation so we won't go to hell when we die. Jesus is not just trying to do that. Jesus is trying to build a culture and he's trying to build a kingdom. He's trying to build a certain type of person who will be the kind of person that will change the world. And the kind of person that will change the world is a person who is humble. The person who can hear without getting offended and without getting defensive. You're not all you should be. But I love you. And I'm going to help you even though you're not all you should be. Even while you're getting your act together, I'm going to heal your son. And I'm going to do good things. for the, You know what the Bible says? This is cool. The goodness of the Lord leads to repentance. 
Okay, so, so think about that verse. Goodness, repentance. So, so the word repentance means the very word more than implies that something's wrong with me. So I got to have this one, two punch. I got to have this two punch approach. Boom, I'm not all I should be. Boom. I'm not, and, and, and by the way, th- this doesn't end in, in, in early in your Christian life. It's like, oh yeah, that 25 years ago, I, 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 25 years ago, boom, I heard the punch. You're not all you should be. But ever since then, I've been all I should be. No way. You hear this, this is, this is a cycle that you go through your whole life. You get feeling good about yourself and the Lord comes along and slaps you down. You're not all you should be. And you go through this process again and so you get better. And then you go through it again and God slaps you down and he's really good to you and he holds you and you go up and you, but you keep getting higher. It's like stair steps. You're going higher and higher. You're getting better and better. The Bible says the path of the just goes brighter and brighter to the perfect day. But we continue this process. So this man couldn't have realized that he was, see, he couldn't have realized that he was following God's uh, recommended pattern for authentic prayer. He really was, and he didn't even realize it. Authentic prayer begins, begins with bringing our, inadequacies, our inadequacies and our problems to the Lord. That's what it begins with. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Well, what, what, does that, what does that say? It says, he's hallowed, he's holy, that means I'm not. Authentic prayer begins with that. Authentic prayer proceeds with us assuming the Lord's superior and our inferiority to the Lord. Jesus established in that first conversation with this guy, I am, I am the Lord. He wasn't shy about that. There was no fine print with Jesus. There was no bait and switch. There was no, yeah, I'll hear you, heal your boy. No problem. I'll, heal him. I'll take care of that for you, buddy. No problem. And then at the end, you find out he wants me to give him his whole, my whole life. He wants to be the Lord. He wants to be the boss of my life. He didn't tell me that. Jesus said, I'm going to tell you up front. I'm the Lord. And and now what he's communicating? He's just saying, I need people to believe in me. I need people to put their trust in me. We could wish we had time to unpack that word believe, but it doesn't mean mental assent, man. Believe Believe means putting the weight of your whole life on a person and on a thing. So authentic prayer is those things I just mentioned. Authentic prayer also succeeds after we're able to non-defensively hear about our shortcomings, have them revealed, and we still have faith. That's it. The very basis of authentic prayer begins with the assumption that I have done something wrong, that I may have done something to contribute to the misery that I'm in. Any other kind of prayer is wishful thinking. So this government official had to hear how he and people like him were exasperating God. And, and you know what's outstanding is he didn't push back. He didn't get defensive. He didn't walk away angry. Instead, he said, sir, come before my child dies. So, okay, you're here today and you, you're doing stuff, right? You're doing stuff that's causing your marriage not to be as healthy as it should be. You're, you're, maybe you're being lazy and, or you're being prayerless. Or you have very low faith or you have very low vision for your life. Or maybe you're making some moral choices that are pretty pathetic and weak. But you're still coming toward Jesus. That is so awesome. Revelation 2.5, repent and do those things you did at first. That's why I say it's a lifetime process. You know, uh, a few years ago, uh, 
somebody, a friend, a pastor friend of mine called me and asked me if I wanted to participate in what they call the Night of Hope with Joel Osteen. And uh, I went down to luncheon. I know Steve Gonzalez is here. Steve went with me to one of those meetings, and we got to meet uh, Joel Osteen and his mom and all these people. And so, to make a long story short, uh, they, they said to myself and a few other pastors there, we, we want you to come up on the stage on the Night of Hope and give this positive affirmation and uh, the name of your church will go up. And, you know, I said, sure, it sounds, sounds like great. Maybe somebody will, that goes to that Night of Hope will show up at our church on Sunday. Who knows? So uh, we, we got ready to go and Sherry and I, Oh, went to dinner over P.F. Chang's in Natick, and so we're, we're headed, we're going to head into the Aganis Arena for this meeting, uh, and uh, we get on, get on, get on Turnpike, first of all, the Turnpike was just a parking lot, I, I didn't anticipate it would be that crowded going into Boston, like, I don't know, five o'clock or whatever time it was, it was really a parking lot, and uh, so I had this contact with, uh, with, with the uh, Joel Osteen's organization, this young woman. And uh, so I was texting her when, when the traffic would stop, naturally. I would text her and say, we're, we're, we're trying to get there. And she, she would, you know, it's, it, it looks like we're maybe running late, but we're, she, she kept saying, come on, keep coming. And, and then I, we get to, the, uh, I believe it was the Cambridge toll booth, and a woman hits me. I'm just sitting there, and this woman runs into the side of my car. Really? And... And the, the traffic is just everywhere. I jump out and uh, lean into her window and get all her insurance information, give her all of mine. But that just took all this time. And then, uh, and I keep texting uh, this nice young lady. And I thought she was going to say, forget it. Forget it. But she kept saying, come on. I'm having all these problems getting there. Just terrible problems. And it was so bad that it was like, the thing, I think it started at 7.30, and it's like 7.40, 7.45, that Sherry and I are driving near the Aganis Arena, and there was no way we were going to get parked, and, and Sherry just, just, she took over, and I jumped out on the sidewalk, and I'm, I'm running down the sidewalk, talking on my cell phone to this girl, I, I'm, and she's, she's just, she never, you know, I'm telling you, say whatever you want about Joel Osteen. But he, his attitude has permeated the culture of his organization. She sounded like Joel Osteen. Uh, she never, she never got exasperated. She never changed the tone of her voice. No, no, Phil, just keep coming, keep coming. It's going to be okay. And I'm running down the sidewalk, sweating like crazy. And uh, you know, because of all this, I was just thinking, I'm going to go in there and get on the stage. Let's do my thing and, and, and go back because Sherry ain't going to park and we'll, we'll go home this, this evening. This whole thing's been a disaster. But they usher me down to the very front and set me with all the staff from, from uh, the, the church in Houston. And so I realized I, I'm going to look a jerk if I leave. <laughs> and uh, just before I've called up, I go sit down. I'm sweating and I call up. I just, I know I did horrible. I just had to do horrible. But I, I blurted something out uh, that they had told me to blurt out. And a funny thing, this is a PS story, funny thing, I get back to my seat. I can't leave. You know, I'm just texting Sherry. I can't, I can't leave. You're going to have to get in here. 
And Sherry comes in. She's found two people in the parking lot and invited them, people who, who were standing outside. And she invites them into the crusade, into the evening. And it turns out the, the woman, this is no joke, the woman was a, a, a high-class call girl. <laughs> and, and Sherry and I, uh, we sent her Purpose Driven Life and stuff like that afterward. And I don't know what happened to her, uh, but hopefully she's uh, living for Jesus today, I hope. My point was, my point was that woman with Joel Osteen is like Jesus. You're having all this trouble getting to him and you've gotten in traffic and you've gotten yourself in a mess and you're, you're angry and you're upset and, and all this stuff. And he's just saying, come on, come on. Lord, I've been wrestling with this problem for 30 years. I, this, I, this problem with lust or this problem with anger. I've just been wrestling with it for 30 years. He says, come on, come on, come on. It's going to be okay. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. The object of your faith. This may be the most profound thing you've ever heard in your life. It's not, it didn't originate with me. I heard somebody else say it. But I'll just let you know that. The object of your faith is more important than your faith. I said the object of your faith is more important than your faith. I said, the object of your faith is more important than your faith. Jesus is more powerful than your problems. Jesus is more powerful than your doubt. Well, it didn't sound like you thought it was the most profound thing you've ever heard, but it was pretty good, right? Really, it's really true. It's really true. If I were to take this chair here, if I were to take this chair And I were to put my faith in this chair. Maybe I didn't have much faith in it. Maybe I just, uh, I don't know. I, I just don't know about the chair. If I will sit in it, I don't care how much doubt I have. If I will sit in it, it will hold me up. Because the object of my faith is more important than my faith. You know what causes Proximity to align with position. See, here's what I love. The end of the story, the man, his position and his proximity line up. Because he realized that what he got from Christ was an act of mercy. He realized that he did nothing to earn it. The ruler had to be thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute. That guy I talked to yesterday was the deity that created the world. That guy that I talked to, that I had an audience with, that I dared ask a favor of without commitment. Without making a commitment, I asked a favor. Instead of giving me what I deserved, which was a big bunch of nothing, he healed my boy with no guarantee that I would ever come back and serve him, bless him or repay him in any way. That's the God that you're dealing with this morning. He wasn't looking at what, what he, 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 he was. He was not much more than a customer when he went to Jesus. So it was mercy that he received. He was avoiding the big conversation. Even when he was avoiding the big conversation, Jesus was working in his life. Titus 3, 5 says he saved us not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing 
and regeneration of the word. Charles Simeon was a great preacher from Cambridge, and he said three things about this passage. Number one, when you've got a problem, do what this man did and ask Jesus for help. Number two, let Jesus answer you on his terms. Number three, when Jesus helps you, and he will, tell your family about it. Lead your family into faith with you. That's my message to every man here today. Happy Father's Day. Would you stand? Father, we're not going to invite you forward today. I know you have Father's Day uh, events to go to, so we're just going to let you go and do those things. But God can do something incredible in your life today. He knows where you live. <laughs> he can send his word to your house. So I'm just going to pray for you right now. I'm going to pray for all of you men out there that this message resonated with you. And you're one of those guys who's not, doesn't measure up, but your, your, your eyes are on Jesus. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for those people here today who know they don't measure up, they ought got problems, and they may even feel guilty for bringing those problems to you, but I pray that they'll stop feeling guilty and they'll start looking around to see what you are doing in their home and in their life. And then, and then, I pray that they can cross the line of faith and bring their kids, their spouses, their relatives, and their neighborhood with them. Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the worship team is going to sing us a walking song. God bless you. Have a great day.